Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with the snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of the places where you can find five podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. You can connect with us on social media at LonghornPod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's fully embracing his Goliath, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I, I, I get the analogy. I get the point that he's making. Um... I very much feel it, you know, like I always have said, you, you watch these movies and it's always about the nerd and it's always about the kid who overcomes something. Where's the movie about the good looking, smart, you know, kid who just kind of does it all right, good at sports, good at school, goes to UT, has a great life, marries a beautiful wife. Where's my movie? You know, where where is that movie? For, no, I'm kidding. Um, the uh, <laughs> being the Goliath is 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 uh, is is. A good thing when you understand that you're so big that everyone's going to throw rocks at your eyes. And I guess if, if you just are able to shield yourself from the inherent arrogance of knowing how much bigger you are than everyone, then you can be a good Goliath. I, I didn't finish my Masters of Divinity, but I got enough of my Masters of Divinity to take a couple of courses about the Old Testament. And there are other like references. If you want to get biblical <laughs> with it, you could also go like... Game of Thrones, like a lion doesn't concern itself with the opinions of sheep, gives the same point that you're trying to make. Like there are about a thousand and one different, like don't lie down with the dogs, you'll catch fleas. Like there's a lot of other things you can use there rather than saying, hey, one of the biggest villains in biblical narratives, <laughs> one of the biggest villains that everybody uses to, um, again, throw stones at, and then, well, if we're going to go like non Sunday school version, like didn't just did the, the stone didn't end that thing. I'm just saying David got off is all I'll say. Um, yeah. But like Goliath didn't come out of the Valley of Elah. Like that's just such a <laughs> terrible way to like, I, I could go on and on about why that, that metaphor is, is terrible. But again, I understand what he's trying to say. Like embrace what makes you unique. 
I agree, and I will give a shout out to uh, to at Eric Highland, who uh, didn't reply as of Texas it, but did reply to our tweet and said, "I think he meant the University of Texas cannot be Daniel. We've got to embrace the Lions," which I I, I understand and appreciate that uh, <laughs> that reference a bit more. I don't even know. I've got nothing. I've gotten so. Ugh. It's it's just so bad, but we're not here to talk about terrible metaphors, uh, although we do it quite a bit. <laughs> Today was the opening of the second signing period, aka National Signing Day. Now, Two as Tom Herman said in buckaloo. his uh, in his release, that December is kind of your primary signing day now, and that February is where you do a little bit of cleanup. So Texas had four guys on the board, went two for four. Texas missed out on uh, Ennis Rakestraw, who surprisingly went Missouri. All the crystal balls came in that he was going to Alabama. The hat science said it was Alabama. <laughs> but so I found the flaw. If you were if you were following me on Twitter today, it was snowing in Oklahoma, so I wasn't very productive. The hat science flaw that I found is that the Missouri hat was not a hat. It was a visor. And if I had realized it was a visor early on, Ooh. we'd have been done. That had clinched it because he's got the guy's got tall hair. So yeah. go with the visor. And then Princely uh, Umana Malin, I put Princely Umana something or other in our show notes, uh, <laughs> committed to this was another surprising one. Everyone thought it was a two-horse race with Texas and Baylor. He ends up at Florida. Um, those were the two that, that Mike said on Tuesday. Mike Roach said on Tuesday that he was shakiest on. So whatever. The thing Mike did not was not shaky on was that Kelvante Dixon not only ends up at Texas, but committed before National Signing Day. Yep. Slid it in late night on Tuesday. He predicted that on our show as well. Four-star athlete from Carthage. Big get for the Longhorns. Yeah, that, that may actually truly be our most Podstradamus uh, thing that's ever happened on the podcast. He literally called the future. Um, you and I have, have gotten close and, and, and got some good predictions in there, but that he literally just spoke it into existence. Um, and, and I think it's... I. I, out of out of the gets, we talked a little bit, and, and if you didn't listen, please go back and listen because it was a great podcast. But we talked a little bit about how great the offensive class was when you take two quarter, quarterbacks of that you know note. Obviously, Bijan, everyone knows about a really solid offensive line class. Um, the the kind of issue was we there was a little more meat left on the receiver bone, and we do believe that uh, Dixon will play at the receiver position at UT most likely, and I think this helps to put a salve on that. If we would have missed and not gotten Dixon, that could have really, um, not that there aren't some guys in the class already, but I think it gives you, like he said, a guy who takes you over the top. You just look at his numbers. Um, 157 catches for over 2,500 yards and 37 TDs. Uh, we went to a 34 power I formation uh, school. So those numbers are unfathomable. That might be the all time, like, Clemens uh, passing or receiving record for all receivers combined, I uh, kid. But uh, you know th- those are those are very impressive numbers. Really, over two years, a junior and senior year, that both had over seventy catches and twelve hundred yards. So I mean, just a, a, a kid who's already done it, who's shown he can do it, showed at the highest level, uh, really took over and was named the MVP as we said of that four A state championship game. And I think has a chance to come in, and maybe not this year immediately because Texas has some um, some guys who are, are ready to. Take the step up but you know maybe a little bit in a contributing role like a Marcus Washington this year learning the ropes and then ready to take a sophomore uh step up I think he he will be a guy in the next two or three years you see as a part of this offense he's a I mean he's a six foot a wide receiver that can you know he runs a sub 1100 yard that to me is a burner and that and that's a guy that you need Texas 
needs that in the passing game of the last couple of years. It's been a big guy on the outside, a less big guy on the other outside, and then a fast big guy in the middle. And so <laughs> um, Brendan Eagles kind of did some of that in this in the 2019 season, but he was up and down and even almost dropped some of his big, big touchdown reception. So like Texas needs that big play threat because that makes those intermediate routes at Sam Ellinger. And I guess in the past, Tom Herman is really loved. We'll see what your uh, year likes to throw. Uh, so Dixon is a big pickup. Uh, the only time we'll say this moving forward, he is the younger brother of Keontae Ingram, but I want to see Kelvante do his own thing. So that exciting for him. And then kind of the, uh, the icing on the National Signing Day cake after missing out, having a disappointing morning, uh, Cedar Creek defensive end Alfred Collins goes all gender reveal on it, <laughs> Pop, pops the balloon, burnt orange, uh, I guess it dust or something comes out of it, or choosing Texas over Alabama and Oklahoma. Side note, the balloon math should have been easy on that one because there's no easy way to distinguish between Alabama and Oklahoma, right. whether it was confetti or smoke or whatever. Fair. So like that should have been easy, but we missed it. Didn't think about that until after, uh, <laughs> but he's a 24 seven sports, uh, five star composite, four star number 62 player overall, the number two defensive end in the class, the number eight player in the state of Texas, a big kid who this is the crazy thing about it. He's six, five 284, but he's still kind of got like a high school body. So I'm interested to see what he develops into. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think this was the big one, right? He's, uh, you know, a five-star. Literally. On, uh, <laughs> literally, you're right. Uh, a five-star on, on day two, which I was playing to my, to my wife who worked in recruiting um, back in her time in college, but back when there was just one signing day. And she's like, what, what do you mean he's like one of the only five stars um, left to, to, to announce? You know, this is, this is a big deal, but it's is it that big? But I said, yeah, like I, I legitimately think I'd have to go and look around the country. I mean, it, it's on one hand, how many five stars uh, committed today, maybe two. Um, but uh, you know, it's, it's a big deal. It rounded out Texas class, gives that momentum to finish the recruiting um, a guy who can come in on a defensive line. That's already stacked. A guy who can come in um, and kind of like I talked about with the receiver position, get some reps as a freshman, but also not be forced to come in, but get his body transformed uh, in the Yancey program and, and really have whether he red shirts um, or he, he plays this year some and has again that that second year campaign I could see him being a real contributor but just a guy who can probably with his body size play anywhere you want on that line um, if they you know decide to, to move him inside but I really think you you're this is a guy you're setting up um, to put a speed rusher on the other side and put him adjacent and he'll still get you you know five to seven sacks uh, easy a year because he's that talented um, and doesn't have to be you know your edge rusher I think the the idea of what we can do with now that we've uh, we found the best position um, for last year linebacker um, this year kind of I think in in the four-man front going to be as we saw in the bowl game defensive end um, I think you can have two different types of, of ends that both work in this Texas defense and I'm excited to see that like I'm excited for this guy to play for three years at Texas and and he has the type of ceiling that that then means okay you know we'll enjoy watching you on Sundays He's a player that I think can be an absolute difference maker for Texas as as far as them shifting to this four-man front. And that's one of the things that really solidified his status at Texas was bringing in a four-man coach. And so I'm really excited to see what uh, what he can turn into because he's got 
all the skills. And again, like you said, he's kind of a do they do they let him eat himself down to defensive tackle? Uh, do they let him kind of keep it keep him lean and play on the edge? He is a guy that I think will demand multiple blockers, and, and we'll talk about this more in just a second. But with the guys that Texas has on campus already and the, what they have in this recruiting class, like this defensive line group is going to be real, real salty, real fast. So with this, as it stands right now, Texas now sits at the number nine class in the country. They're once again, the top recruiting class in the conference, third year running, third straight top 10 uh, year under Tom Herman, uh, three of the top 10 players in the state of Texas, nine of the top 30, 13 of the top 50. It's also their third straight year with a top uh, running back in the conference with Bijan coming to Texas. You'll go back to Darian Brown last year and then Keontae Ingram two years ago. So even though Texas missed a lot, they still had a really good class, and they managed to do all of these things with a smaller haul. They're the only school in the top fifteen, or the top, yeah, the top fifteen, top tw- uh, ten, with fewer than twenty commitments. So, they would they have liked to have more people in this class? Absolutely. You you think about uh, miss the wide receiver misses are probably the the biggest ones. You know, um, they lost a big another big one to Ohio State. They lost another big one to TCU. There's a lot of guys obviously that they would have loved to have in this class, but the the quality of the guys in the class is really high. Yeah, and, and I mean, hey, I'll, I'll take that every year. I was I was looking at the the 2016 class in in retro, and we may talk about it in the pod. It may be an article goes up on the site, but uh, you know, just the uh, the amount of, of misses when you go back and look on that class, which is a really fantastic class with some great players, but when you go back and re-rank it, I mean, it's it's it, it, it just basically led to a dearth of talent in so many areas and kind of was the death knell for the, you know, the little upswing in the program uh, that I say little that we had in that, you know, <laughs> this last decade. Um, it kind of ensured some of the, the bad seasons um, pre, pre-Tom Herman. So I uh, it matters. It matters that you know you get the right guys. It matters that if you're going to get um, fewer than 25 kids, that you take the time and you get the guys you want. And you feel like even if this is a three star, this is a three star with upside that we think can develop here or fits into this scheme. Or you know this is a this is a four star who's you know not the four slash five that everyone's talking about, but is just a solid kid who's going to give you four years of you know really solid and maybe a couple all big 12 seasons in there. Like I'll take eight of those guys. Like I will take every player is, you know, we call it curated, right? Like is picked to be there because you're Texas and hopefully you have the ability to choose who you want. You don't have to be desperate and just throw out, you know, a million offers and, and, and see what sticks and get a bunch of kids and see who works, but that you get the right guys that you work and develop the talent um, that you have so that we see, Oh, this is the third year we've had the top class in the big 12. Okay. Let's see that translate to results on the field, right? Like if you have the top class and you you should have the top record. I'll, I'll make a very simple linear statement. It's not that easy, but let's develop these guys. And so that's, that's the hope It's a brand new, mostly uh, brand new staff like let's let's hope that you get these guys and by the time in four years from now when we're doing a look back on on this class as, as we will with kind of the others that uh, that these guys were able to come in and, and have that impact and really take Texas to that next tier it's hard to judge a class immediately following but 
this class on paper looks like a class that can have a lot of guys that will will do some significant damage for Texas. And so with that, let's let's just take a look at kind of how we feel about the class currently. So from your vantage point, Kyle, what would you say are like the biggest win in this class for you? I mean, it's it's cliche, but the biggest win is Bijan, right? Like the biggest win is getting an impact player at a position that literally one year ago we were like taping together spare parts and chicken wire to to field running backs back there, and we went out and got the number one back in the nation. You know, a, a true five star, a guy who literally anyone who saw him play high school said, "Wow." That's special talent. I don't care who the competition, what state it's in, where it's at. That's special talent. That's, you know, a guy who has, if everything goes right, you know, uh, up, up, you know, Pro Bowl level NFL potential. Like, has all of the tools, all of the talent. So, I mean, I think it's, I hope it's not cliche to start right there, but I think the biggest win is going out and, and getting getting Bijan. And I think the other thing, I'll take it maybe a little deeper, I'll give you some actual analysis here, is that they built an offensive line class, an area that they've kind of struggled and, and kind of chased and kind of, you know, maybe not always got their guys and maybe not got their guys right away. They built the way that winning programs do, the way that your Alabamas do, the way that Clemson in recent years have done, built with the big uglies on, on both sides of the ball, but especially on the offensive line and do it early. Like some of the, the you know, the anchors of this program were some of the big boys. You know, you think about how long Jalen Garth have, have been committed. I mean, Carrick, we really talk a lot about him um, being, he's probably one of the more, the more recent on that line, but um, you know, just all of the, the big fellas, Logan Parr, uh, Jake Major, just some really, really good pieces that will be a part of a culture and a part of like the, the foundation level that you're building on. And that's what these skill position players, these, these, you know, um, You'll talk about the quarterbacks, I'm sure, some star quarterbacks. That's what you're relying on is that good foundational line. And I think that's a win. And I think when we look ahead to next year, it's also a trend that that's where they want to focus. You kind of took two of, two of the ones that I was kind of ruminating on. I almost disqualified Bijan from this conversation. But <laughs> um, the, offensive, the offensive line group that they put together, like majors – I really think like his 194 rating is too is too low. Like that's that's a that's a build around guy in the middle of your offensive line. Logan Parr, um, a lot of the knock on him is that he he's he's pretty. They a lot of analysts feel like he's close to a ceiling, and mm. that's fine because that's a real like that's a really good ceiling. And so uh, I'm I'm totally okay with that. But I think the thing for me, especially with the uncertainty heading into the quarterback situation in the next two to three years, the fact that they were able to hold on to the number two and the number three dual threat quarterbacks in the country who mm-hmm. also happen to be top 75 guys and top 10 guys in the state of Texas. Like last year, a big knock on Tom Herman was that they went too far out of state. They were, there were too many out of state guys. There were too many out of state guys. There were too many out of state guys. And now Herman was like, okay, so we'll go ahead and we'll grab three of the top 10. No other, no other team in the country has, if I recall correctly, three of the top 10 players in the state of Texas, which Obviously, I feel like Texas should have more of the top 10 players in the state of Texas, but that's fine. And if that weird uh, 11th hour Quentin Johnson flip hadn't happened, that would be four of the top 10. A&M has two, Alabama has two, Ohio State has one, and then we still don't know what's going on with Zach Evans. <laughs> so, like, 
that to me is a win. And Texas will probably continue that trend moving forward of keeping the best. That's that's when you're a state like Texas, where you're one of the hotbeds of recruiting, you've got to keep those home guys home. You've got to keep the guys that are that are from Texas. You've got to keep them in state. And too long, OU has poached so many of the top players in the state of Texas and has ridden them to national championship berths. And so mm-hmm. the fact that Texas was so successful with a lot of the top guys in the state is a big, big win for me. And it starts with the, with that pair of quarterbacks. Uh, and I think kind of on like the so- like the softer side of things, I work in um, organizational development. So mo- a lot of my job is soft skill and like culture building, whatever, whatever. But like some of the culture and some of the things we're hearing about these guys in this class where they're already culling the weak links where they're telling guys and they're like, if you're not all in, then just go ahead and get out. Yeah. Like that's, that to me makes me happy. Cause it's like, you know, they're not going to take crap. They're not going to take people that are, that are half there. There ain't no such things as halfway crooks, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's what these guys are in for. And, and I absolutely love it. So on the flip side of that, Kyle, what do you think are the biggest misses uh, for this group? Fantastic. Shook one's reference. Um, so, Yes, like you said, that many guys in the top 10. If you extend it to the twenty top 25, you have seven. If you do the arbitrary cutoff at 28, it's nine of the top 28. That's fantastic. Fortunately, none of those guys play um, a position that I think we were really, really looking for. Well, I'll say this. Prince Dorba plays outside linebacker, but I think especially interior linebacker we were looking for. So um, Texas hasn't just necessarily they there wasn't a big miss on a linebacker out of the state of texas who could step in and be your middle linebacker of the future or honestly in the current situation of the present um so i understand that but it just felt like given even that like you needed bodies if you were gonna go throw numbers at something and see what sticks it it probably would have been linebacker right i think this class struggled even even at the outside linebacker after dorba you you got jalen ford which was a fantastic flip i'm glad they got him from utah um but but where's the where's the rest of the depth on years you've been relying on juco transfers um it just has been a position that has been under recruited it hasn't developed um and panned out fully even with some of the guys they got um it's been a little interesting. I know that's that you get some scheme issues and, and, and things there, but nonetheless, it, it's going to be a very interesting, um, a very interesting look. And, and I think we can talk about it a little bit here when we talk about transfers. Uh, I think it, it's it's not a it's not a will they. It's a who will they? Because I think it becomes because they didn't address it in this class. Um, and, and again, I. There are caveats. You think about like a DeGabriel Floyd. There are tons of caveats that are included in this. Um, but, you know, it is my biggest heartburn heading into. And when we talk through our season preview and do our look at the spring game and some of that, like it is where I will be watching and probably for the second straight year where I will be watching to really, you know, get a, a litmus test and a feeling for how good I think our defense can be uh, next season. And a linebacker is a struggle because – when you look like the state of Texas just has has not produced a ton of top flight linebackers in the last few years. In the top 50 players in the state of Texas, two of them were linebackers. Texas got one of them. And I think right. on the defensive side of the ball, the, the other position that I, that I really think Texas needed to do better at is the cornerback position. There were five cornerbacks of the top 50 players in the state of Texas, and four of the five ended up in SEC schools. Yeah. Four of the five of them, the only one that didn't was Keaton Crawford, who ended up in Texas. And so 
Texas, as it stands right now, is doing okay, at least numbers-wise defensive back. But, you know, you see an injury here. We saw it last year. Injury here, injury there. And you could be hurting. So that, that to me, is a, is a sign for concern. I think wide receiver is probably another spot where I'd love to see them take another guy. But, I mean, missing out on guys like, um, you know, the, the inside linebacker from, uh, from Side Creek, Josh, Josh White, White, is a guy who yeah. it's, it's tough. It's tough to let a guy like that go out of state, especially. I mean, Houston, Houston guys, it's tough because generally Houston guys either end up uh, going farther east to uh, – <laughs> to LSU or they go to Texas A&M, but mm-hmm. at some point you've got to try to find a way to get, get in there. And so that to me, the, the cornerback spot and the linebacker spot are probably the two biggest. And then another one that I just like Jackson Smith, uh, Jibba is a guy who, if Ohio state steals another top tier in state wide receiver, I'm going to set something on fire. Like the, for the second year in a row, a guy that should have been a slam dunk for the university of Texas is heading north to Ohio State. And watching Garrett Wilson play in the college football playoff and make plays, it was it was just crushing. Yeah. Soul crushing. And so like those those spots to me are are things that you can't miss. Like seeing Brian Hartline named 24-7's top recruiter of the year again, I threw something. Granted it was yeah. a pillow, but it, I threw something. Like it's just frustrating. Yeah, and, and and I think rightfully so, right? Like I think when we talk about that receiver spot, I think you know, I'm I'm ready for for Troy Omier to um, make some people feel bad about you know undervaluing this receiver class because I do think he can be, he has the potential to be a really good player. He can be that big body. Like you think about what um, what we did this year with you know when it wasn't Colin Johnson, when he was out, we kind of uh, defaulted to having to go to Malcolm Epps. Um, you, you you see a player who probably has similar skill sets, but is more polished. Epps, I think, still has a couple of years to develop. He's developing as he does it. Um, but, you know, just big, tall jumper who can go up and get the ball, um, can do some things. I think you, you get that as a freshman with Troy Omier, who's... Um, a really good player, but, but again, we'll see what his true ceiling can be if he continues to develop as well, but he comes in with some more skills and I think maybe hopefully he can make us not feel as bad, but you're right. When there's a kid who's a slam dunk, let's go ahead and get him. But I I do think um, you, you referenced a lot of the Texas kids this year, as we talked about last year, we came back and the pendulum swung more to Texas, but then you look at, it never really was real, but we kind of got our hopes up maybe a little bit, a guy like Akili Ringo, and we're like, maybe we'll just take Arizona's best kids too, um, and he's the crown jewel of, I think Georgia has the number one composite, depending what site you're looking at, recruiting class in the country, and he's the number one in it. Not saying we could have or should have uh, got him, but it just hurts when you talk about those positions. Would have loved to get a little more cornerback as well, um, and you had that guy you know, who was just a, a perfect piece uh, that maybe could have almost kind of been a been a long one so there, we're sitting here breaking down as we're talking misses like ah i wish it could have been better but this is a top 10 class right let's let's not get crazy let's not talk about that in a top 10 class in a year when seven of the 10 coaches uh are are, are new faces right like so you take it with with all the caveats we've listed it's a great year there's some great players there's some guys i think who have a potential to each contribute. I mean, if you can get out of any recruiting class, you can get about 12 to 15 guys who play 
like legitimately play, finish their careers, play, contribute in some meaningful way um, in their time in the 40 acres, then, then you've done incredible. And I can look down that list and find you 12 that I feel pretty good about. I can find you probably 16 that I feel real good about, you know, that, that I think can contribute. So I think there's talent and there's guys who will, who will probably have something to say uh, and probably a couple little surprises during their time on the 40 acres. Yeah, and, and we're we're sitting here finding pimples on the prom queen, Kyle. Right, this is, right. This is what we're doing uh, because, again, in his third full recruiting cycle, Tom Herman and his group have brought in a top 10 class. Now, the mm-hmm. last two have been higher ranked, but like top 10 classes are what you built. And the, the blue chip ratio in this group is second only to Alabama. And blue chip ratio is where you really build national champions. So the, like the concentration of talent in this in this class is great. And so you should not be disappointed with this group, but we can't we can't we have to talk about the missed opportunities. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's that's if we're being true journalists, like we can't pump the sunshine. We have to talk about it. One thing I do want to point out when we talk about how good this class was and what could have been better is next year's class currently sits at number five. Um, Long way to go. Has a year out. um, But with seven commits, sits at number five in the 247 composite for the 2021 um, with just some some absolute names amongst those already in there. So um, it's good. We we get these kids on campus. We get them coached up. Now when you think recruiting, we're going to advance it and rev it up a year. It's the time, like we, we roll it forward uh, to 2021, and we'll talk. We're not going to talk about that today, uh, but we'll be back and give you more information about uh, recruiting as it happens. We'll have uh, Coach Seahorn on some more. We'll have Mike Roach to uh, on some more, but we'll give them some time to uh, to decompress and hang out with their families after a busy <laughs> busy recruiting season. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, so now it brings to the favorite part of your week, my week, distant family members week, is uh, the burnt orange lenses, where we take a look at the entire landscape of the world through uh, through burnt orange hue. Um, and I'm going to start it right where we kind of left off with a little bit of football news. Um, the uh, the big news coming out of today was the rumor. Um, soon to be uh, confirmed maybe by the time you're listening to this, but that Texas will reportedly announce Mark Hagan as the second defensive line coach and the final uh, open and vacant coaching slot. Um, He is coming back to Texas. He currently serves as the D-line slash co-DC for Indiana, who had a surprising kind of uh, relatively good year. I don't know that they they exceeded projections, but um, he's a guy who uh, has – Done a pretty good job going home. He played linebacker at Indiana. I think he's all-time fifth in their their school history in tackles, leading the team multiple years. Um, but then, then, then made some bad decisions. When he came to Texas last time, it was not home. Uh, he was in College Station 2013 to 2016. So if you're going to come down to Texas, he got it right this time. Gerald, what do you think about this hire? How does Mark Hagan make you feel as the 10th, uh, coach and uh, in the in the in the class and in the fifth 
glad to say it, on the defensive side of the ball. I, I don't have a ton of strong feelings about this. I think you know, he's a guy that's got a long history. Uh, he's a guy who's who's a name that a lot of people know. He coached at A&M for a little bit. Uh, 2017, he had one of the top uh, tackle for loss and sack units in the country. My, my check on this, my like misgiving on this slightly, is that he's known more as a recruiter than a player developer. And granted, Giles is known as a player developer, but Giles has also made some money these last few years as a recruiter. We literally just talked about how the Texas defensive line unit uh, was really incredible. And so I I just don't know if they're going to just let Giles focus on training up the boys and let Hagen focus on recruiting so they can like split the labor there. Because mm. if that's the case, then dope. Because when, when Giles is able to focus on recruiting or on developing, he does things like Brian Arakpo. He does things like uh, some of these recent guys that we've seen that have blown up. Charles, uh, Charles Amenahu currently blowing up for the, the Houston Texans. So, um, like, I'm okay with that. If that's why they hire him, so it's like, okay, Oscar, you just focus on coaching the guys up. Mark will get him here. You could, like, that to me is great. Um, but I think we've, ta- we've talked about it ad nauseum. The, the problem Texas has is not getting him there. It's, it's coaching him up. So if this division of labor is going to allow Giles to focus on developing, then I'm all in. And he was uh, did serve in the capacity of recruiting coordinator for Indiana, and he was twice recognized um, by rivals, one of the top recruiters in the country. So you're right, he has you know the, the bona fides uh, for that. But uh, yeah, well, I mean, let's see, guys. Right, it it, it will be very um, interesting. It's not a type of coaching staff where we have one change you can pinpoint what's different from last year. Everything is different. Um, so I don't know. Uh, you know, you could have got Vince Lombardi in there to coach the defensive interior defensive line. And I don't know that it would have just immediately fixed everything. There's a lot of work. And if they felt he was the right guy to fill out the staff, the right personality to work with all the folks, then, then I will, uh, I will trust until I see otherwise. Um, but yeah, I do think, uh, I think it's good that we have it, but I do, before we move Gerald, you had a theory and I think you're onto something. Is it, a pure coincidence that this will be announced after National Signing Day? Not in the slightest bit. <laughs> Not like I I said it joke like I said it tongue in cheek because I honestly didn't want it to be the case. But the fact that like these start circulating after basically everybody knows Collins is in the bag, like they they hired this guy a month ago and wanted Carrington to just stay on the recruiting trail. <laughs> like, let's just not let's not mince words. Let's not BS about it. Like, and, but that's like that's like three D chess moves from Herman. I, I love it. I, you're right. I think it's one of the, the smartest things Herman did because Carrington, man, like this guy might have been a multiple times recognized recruiter of the year, but it just doesn't get any better than Carrington. These kids understand him, feel him, love him. I mean, he uh, he's doing fantastic work. And speaking of guys doing fantastic work, um, we gave a lot of praise this year and in, in the past couple years for Crystal Conte. Uh, he hosted his, his town hall this week, I believe, uh, Tuesday um, and he announced some things that are that are worth noting um, first of all the uh, the 2020 season will feature no increase in the season ticket prices and then went over kind of some updates on the uh, on the new construction that's going on obviously we know the uh, newly named Moody Center has um, some time to go they just broke ground on that but there's a couple um, that are that will be coming to fruition we saw the baseball complex which looks amazing uh, finish a few months ago um, but also on the radar are slated for uh, May 2020 is the uh, 
track and fe- track and soccer um, shared Mithoff Fieldhouse, uh, which will, uh, like I said, in the summer, and then also the men's uh, and women's swimming and diving uh, outdoor pool will be finished in May, and then similar to the baseball, softball getting their own um, redeveloped player center um, that will be uh, September 2020 completion schedule. So Gerald CDC came in said. We had the, the best facilities in the country. That was a while ago. Other people updated. We need a refresh. He clearly means outside of just the football refresh we saw some of last year, the ongoing end zone construction. There's there's cranes all over campus, stuff going on. How do you feel about Del Conte delivering on promises? Texas is not just a premier football institution. It's not just a premier academic institution. Texas is a premier institution full stop. And... The facility should reflect that. And if he's able to, again, offset these costs like he did with somehow the the basketball facilities, like, great. Because, again, while the football team has struggled over the last 10 years, Texas athletics hasn't stopped rolling. And mm. the, the other teams are doing incredible things. And so, yeah, football is the primary revenue generator and basketball is struggling right now but texas needs to be the premier institution period end of sentence yeah no i i I agree with you completely there and i think that's how you do it is that in everything you are the best i believe it was we were either just getting to college maybe we're in high school i don't remember when sports illustrated named their best college uh sports institution in the country and it was basically which is it ut or stanford um and and that's good you should you should want to to be in that conversation um and and the answer to be you. Um, so speaking of teams that have uh, some stellar uh, expectations for the upcoming season, we have softball uh, opening up with the Texas Classic, um, probably on the day you listen to this on your podcast on Thursday. Um in Austin, Texas, uh, they will be unveiling a new beautiful, speaking of facilities, I believe 24 by 42 foot Jumbotron, which I love that, you know, even our, you know, non-football stadiums have bigger than some, um, you know, like group of five uh, football stadiums crowning achievements. Um, but good for the uh, the softball ladies. Hopefully uh, our amazing hitters will have something to, to aim at out there in outfield. But they will open up the season uh, hosting Wichita State. Um, and Maryland, uh, and then they'll play the winner, of course, of whoever uh, is left there out of Texas and Colorado, Colorado State, um, and I believe Lamar is the final team at that tournament. So it, it'll be uh, it'll be good, Gerald. I think they have a chance with some some decent opponents, but but they should certainly be favored in each of those games to open it up and open up uh, what was a, a great season last year. Um, some really good pitching. We might talk a little uh, review of the first game, use it to, to look forward for the softball season. But uh, nonetheless, you know me. I get excited when softball season rolls around. You kind of subbed it up really well, but Texas is probably easily one of the better softball historically schools. And so really it's like, Whoever comes out of the Big 12 and whoever comes out of the Pac-12 will probably be the two favorites heading into or the two probably two of the top four seeds because they're like what Washington, UCLA, and Arizona are three of the top five. Texas is right outside uh, number six. And all those teams got a first place vote from somebody. So, like, it's going to be tough sledding for Texas, but I think they'll be able to do – They'll do well in the conference, uh, but again, whoever comes out of the uh, the Big 12 will likely host a, a regional and, and have an opportunity at a super regional. 
Yeah, number 11 ranking and 46 wins is hard to top, but I feel pretty confident in, in year two of the Mike White era that they're ready to go forward. Now, another program that under you know the the second, I believe maybe the third year uh, of maybe second year of coaching is is the Texas track and field team, which we've talked almost every week about how they're just on the up and up. Um, but one prime example of that was Julianne Alfred was named to the Bowerman 2020 uh, women's watch list, which goes to track and field's top uh, performer. And so that's just an amazing feat. She's the seventh woman in school history to be named even to the watch list. Um, actually not the first, even under coach Floreal, um, as, uh, uh, Tiana Daniels uh, last year as well, but joins Destiny Hooker uh, in 2009, who was a finalist, uh, Courtney Okolo, who was a winner in 2016, Caitlin uh, Petrolosi's the 2015 nominee, and then Ashley Spencer in 2014. And as we mentioned, uh, we loved Ashton Zamzow, who was a semifinalist last year. So um, fantastic. You know, I, I love that uh, men's and women's track just keep to hustle and, and they're getting recognized for it. Now, on the uh, the other recognition, again, we're talking about coaches that started last year. Bruce Burke, uh, we know him, won a national championship for men's tennis, was named, not surprisingly, Professional Tennis Registry uh, College Coach of the Year. So uh, rightfully rewarded for the 2019 uh, season and uh, again looking forward to another one this year just a quick note as we as we wrap up some odds and ends here in the burnt orange lenses you may have been you heard us talk a lot about coach Shanahan and the multiple um, players on the 49ers or on the 49ers coaching staff but Longhorns were set up to win either way as you you may have heard us say Alex Okafor gets to celebrate as a NFL Super Bowl champion, um, and uh, UT gets to celebrate with uh, champions in both sports. I believe Trace Barrera played for the um, played for the Washington Nationals, and Okafor for the Kansas City Chiefs. So now we're just waiting on the NBA to wrap it up for a Longhorn trifecta. I'm not sure who would be the guy for in the NBA. I'm trying to think. Uh, Lamarcus Aldridge with the Spurs. Yes, long <laughs> no. shot. No. Um, who who else who else who else? Um, oh, it's Daryl Morey's in a trading mood. Maybe uh, maybe it's the Rockets, or maybe somehow uh, PJ ends up on like the Lakers just to hang out with LeBron and gets to win a uh, win a championship there. I don't know. He might actually be your best bet though if the Rockets do the the unbelievable and get James Harden to perform in the playoffs. It might be PJ Tucker. Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe next year Jared Allen has a shot at one. Sure. Because Kevin Durant should be back, right? Yeah, like that's yeah. a thing. Yeah. So that hopefully I, think, I don't know. I think Kevin Durant is is your answer, but yeah, Jared Allen on on his team as well. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to backdoor that one in there. I, I still uh, I still have weird feelings about Katie. It's fine. All right. Well, moving on to things we have fantastic feelings about, or at least I do, Gerald. I think it's amazing. Superbook came out with their odds very very early, but I appreciate it. Someone's got to get out there first. There was Heisman odds, Gerald. Sam Heisman Ellinger fourth. In your Heisman odds, only after Fields, Lawrence, somehow Spencer Rattler. I guess that's just the OU quarterback factory, but ahead of Chuba Hubbard and Travis Etienne, running backs who uh, who were amazing last year. How do you feel about Sam Ellinger being fourth in the Heisman odds preseason? 
I mean, it makes sense that he's above Chuba Hubbard and, and Travis Etienne because it's basic. Like, they need to just roll the O'Brien and the Heisman together at this sure, point. Like, it's, sure. it's not going to be a running back ever again. Man, it like it makes sense that he's behind Fields and Lawrence. Those two make sense. Rattler's the one that I'm concerned about. Like, it's the, it's, it's the OU quarterback thing, but that yeah. one just feels like them wanting to, like, steal money from people. Like, I don't think <laughs> I don't think he ends up even in New York next year. No, I think it would be a long shot, even with Leak and Riley's amazing quarterback factory there. Uh, not in his career, but certainly not next year. Other quarterbacks, Jerry Jones' grandson, Paxton Anderson, accepted a preferred walk-on spot. will be joining the Longhorns, so that's just a thing to know. Don't think it's a real... Uh, Item of note, but an interesting one nonetheless. Um, I believe Lou Holtz's uh, grandson was also on a UT program at one point. But uh, So we get the famous folks. It makes sense. And then final football note, final note of the show. Spring game was announced for uh, April 25th. So for those of you who are going to travel to Austin for the spring game, which you should, why not? Uh, start mark- marking your calendars now. Get it on the calendar. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer on Twitter at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. I'm flying like the Netflix documentary Cheers.